Well, I am excited about this Bible study, delighted to be back with you. Happy New Year. It's 2020. Can you believe that? <laughs> 2020, an important year globally, nationally, and how awesome that we are going to be looking at and studying and asking the Lord to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, the one that John so beautifully depicts for us in this fourth gospel. The Tyndale New Testament said, the gospels are the first fruits of all writings, and the gospel of John is the first fruits of the gospels, and no one can receive its meaning who has not himself lain back on Jesus' breast. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do this semester, is to get in close and to lean back on his breast. As you get into the book of John, to follow those cross-references, to listen as the Holy Spirit is revealing Christ to you, and when he's speaking to you about a specific word or a specific truth, trace that truth through Scripture because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will speak to you, and he will draw you into himself, and you will forever be changed. And I want to encourage you to spend time, and I realize the enemy fights you getting into the Word of God and fights you in prayer more than he fights you at anything else you do. But you choose as an act of your will and ask the Holy Spirit to help you and to empower you to do your study. Because it is what you do in your personal time with the Lord. When you open the Word on your own, it's what Jesus told Martha nobody would ever be able to take away from Mary because she had chosen the good part. She was sitting at his feet. So that's what we're going to do. Obviously, we do it every semester, but this semester in a very specific way, we are looking intently into the glory of Jesus Christ, his deity, such lofty language and yet so simple that a child can come to Christ through its words. So as we look at it, we know that the author is John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He never names himself in the gospel, but everybody knew that it was John. In fact, the early church father, Irenaeus, was a disciple of Polycarp, who was a disciple of the Apostle John. Now, can you imagine that? Being discipled by somebody who was discipled by John? <laughs> he was. And he testified on Polycarp's authority that John wrote the gospel during his residence at Ephesus in Asia Minor when he was advanced in age. So when was it written? Many believe he wrote the gospel from Ephesus, as we said, before he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, where we know God gave him the revelation. And how awesome is it that the Lord led Steve to preach through Revelation while we're studying John? I just think that's amazing. <laughs> and that just works really well. And you can read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John while you're at it, and then you get all of them. What's the purpose? It's John 20, 31. These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in him. Henrietta Mears said, no person can see God. We know that. God himself told Moses that, you can't see me and live. My holiness would consume you. But Christ came to declare him, to explain him to us. What are some of the prominent words? And you're going to see these as you get into the introduction. Believe appears 98 times in John. We know that in John 6, 29, it's where Jesus told the people when they said, he said, don't do the works that just, you're following me because I'm feeding you. <laughs> Don't do works that pass away. Do the work of God. And they said, what is the work of God? And what did Jesus say? To believe in him whom he has sent. So that means our job is to believe. And if John's repeating it over and over, 98 times, 
in his book, we must choose as we open this study to say, Lord, help me in my unbelief. Help me to take you at your word and to really believe. Love appears 57 times. For God so loved the world. Then in John 13, what did he say? I'm giving you a new commandment. Love one another. By this, by your love for one another, will others know that you're my disciples. That should be what sets us apart, how much we love each other. And I can tell you, I love you. I stand up here and I don't even know some of you personally, many of you I do, but I look out at your faces each week and I love you because I see in you a hunger and a desire for Christ. And I am so grateful for your commitment to be here in the middle of the week, to make time, to come together, to study the Word of God. Why? Because you want to know Him just as I do. In fact, I was talking to a couple of women before we started, and they said God had kind of given them a specific word for the year, like a focus, something He was going to be teaching them and revealing to them this year. And, and I said, you know, I don't know that I really have that. And as I was back there worshiping, I thought, yes, I do. <laughs> Sam and I have been talking about this over and over and over. What is my focus for this year? One. What did he pray in John 17? Lord, may they be one just as you and I are one. May they be one with me just as I am one with you. I want to walk in such oneness with him this year that I am walking and talking with my Savior. That I am literally an extension of his will on earth. That he can prompt me to reach out to somebody, to encourage somebody, to pray to somebody, to share the gospel with somebody, to help somebody financially, to care for somebody who's sick, to take somebody a meal. Whatever it is, I want to be so in tune with his spirit that he can entrust me to care for those he loves. To minister, to speak a word of encouragement. That he can grant me a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge to speak to someone in a time of need. And they will know that God has spoken to them. Not because I'm anything but because I have chosen to empty myself before him and simply be a vessel. He's in us. He lives within us. He loves us so much. He gave his life to buy us back. He loves us because we're his children. He has allowed us to call him Abba, Father, like a little child. And what did he say? Unless you become like a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. I love little children, and we got a lot of grandchildren. <laughs> and they were all at my house. Um, the week of Steve's birthday, the 31st and the 1st, and we had all of them for about five days, everybody for three. And so that's 25 people in our house. Our house is not that large. <laughs> Fortunately, Bethany and David have a house here in Memphis, and so they do go there and spend the night, but we put the kids down and pack and plays at night because they want to stay and hang out with their siblings and spouses. And, and it is a wild and crazy time, and it is so much fun. And I, the, every, every one of our grandchildren, of course, I did this with my children. You look at your children, and you just think they're the most perfect kids in the world, and they're gorgeous, and they're wonderful, and just, you, you know, just, uh, you just can't believe that this little creature, you know, and you see your husband, you see yourself in them. I say, like, my mother and, and one of my daughters, and, and it's just so fun to see those characteristics and you just marvel at the miraculous when you think about the impossibility of this child being born healthy and whole, another person created in the image of God. And look at our grandchildren. Oh, my goodness. How can you look in the face of a two-year-old or a four-year-old or a six-year-old and not just see wide-eyed wonder, unbridled joy and enthusiasm. They're not the least bit inhibited. If they're excited, you're going to know about it. They're going to run through the house. They're going to jump and run. And, and it's just so much fun. And I love them so much, it almost takes my breath away. 
And I would tell my children that when they were little. I can't even describe to you how much I love you, but I can tell you I love you so much that sometimes it almost takes my breath away. I feel that way about my children and my grandchildren. And I think, okay, if me being evil, if I feel that way, how does the Father describe his love for us? We're his children. The Scripture says he delights over us. He sings over us. In fact, that's exactly what it says in Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. And that exult over you with joy, do you know what that literally means? You've got to go to Isaiah 62, verse 5 to see. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Have you ever been at a wedding and been up in really close and watched the bridegroom the moment he spots his bride? Have you ever seen one's chip lip or chin quiver and they're trying really hard not to just break down because they're so delighted over their bride? Do you realize Jesus just said, that's how I feel about you? That's how I feel about you. There's somebody in here tonight, maybe more than one somebody's, I'm sure there is. And you need to hear that tonight. You need to know that you are loved beyond what you can begin to comprehend. That you need to begin describing yourself as a disciple whom Jesus loves. Because he does. He loves you. And if you will begin to believe that, you will trust him, just as John said in 1 John 3.18. Perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. It means we're not perfected. We're not mature in love. Because if we really believe he loves us, we're not going to fear. We're not going to fear what's going on in Iran and Iraq. We're not going to fear what's happening in Memphis, Tennessee. We're not going to fear what's happening in our marriage, what's happening with our children. We're going to pray about it. And we're going to trust. We're going to trust the Lord that, yes, there will be trials and tribulations in this life. But we can be of good cheer because he has overcome. He has overcome because he has overcome. We will overcome. And it doesn't matter what the enemy throws our way or what this broken world brings across our path. We can stand firm because our lives are built upon the rock. The solid rock of Jesus Christ and the solid rock of his word. So I'm going to ask you. To ask the Lord to help you to see him with the eyes of a child this semester. Each week as you open his word, every morning as you get into it, that you will go in with wide-eyed wonder and unbridled joy. Lord, what are you going to reveal to me today? What will I learn about you? How will you reveal yourself to me? Bethany and David that live here have little Ainsley and Grayson. And Ainsley was two at the end of October. And Grayson's, um, well, he'll be one in April. I tell you what, I'm, all their ages, you know, it's like I have to think. <laughs> I don't know how many months he is. But anyway, he's not yet one. And so I had not seen them. They've been out of town. And so I wanted to swing by there today. So I called and said, hey, can I bring Chick-fil-A? No, nobody's ever going to turn that down, right? And so I came by with Chick-fil-A. And Ainsley was so excited. And she jumped up and down. And so we went into the sit. She said, sit by me. Hold my hand. I'm going sit in your lap. So she's sitting in my lap getting her Chick-fil-A sauce all over me. Do I care? Uh, no. I was eating it up because she wanted me to sit beside her, and then she wanted me to hold my hand because I hadn't seen her in a while. And it is so precious. I, I mean, oh, I could eat her up. I could just eat her up. And I think, Lord, if I love her like that, how can I even begin to comprehend your love? Because your love is perfect. Mine is tainted. 
I'm sinful. <laughs> I'm not yet fully glorified and sanctified. Justified, yes, in the process of being sanctified, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> and if I feel like that, can I begin to comprehend the love? John's trying to describe it to us. Will you have ears to hear this semester? what the Spirit is saying about how much God loves you. And life appears 47 times. He came to give us life. And the, light was the, li the life was the light of men. He gives us light for our path so that we can follow him. The word logos literally means word appears 40 times. Truth appears 25 times. Sign appears 17 times. And we see seven miraculous signs, seven I am statements of Christ. The theme of this whole thing is the deity of Christ. Every gospel had a purpose. John's was to prove Jesus Christ was divine. And when you look at John chapter 1, what does it say? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. 1 John 1, what does that sound like? Genesis 1, 1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the word. And that's what he's intentionally doing and saying to us. In the beginning, before anything was created, Christ was. He is the word of God through whom everything that God created was created. Two, he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jump down to 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word, God, in the beginning, took on flesh. And He walked on the earth. And He lived among men. And He explained to them the Father and the kingdom of heaven and what was to come. <coughs> Excuse me. The key verse. John 1, 12, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is why the Christian religion is not obedience to a legal system, but devotion to a person. In fact, I want you to look in your Glory Revealed workbook at page 9 and see the seven I am statements. You see, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now, what is this going to mean to the Jewish ear? What do they know from the Old Testament? What did Moses ask God? Who will I say sent me? What am I going to say when they say, well, <laughs> on what authority do you come? Who sent you here to deliver us from Egypt to bring this message? He says, you tell them, I am sent you. And so they would have known immediately he's claiming to be God. And he said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door into the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Ask the Lord to allow you to see him as he is. The great I am who was in the beginning. And then we're going to see the seven signs, the miracles that Jesus performs in John 
And he doesn't give all of them, but he specifically chose miracles to show his power and authority, as we talked about tonight, as king of kings over disease, over death, over natural resources. He can take water and turn it into wine. He can heal a sick boy. He can heal a paralytic. He can take a little boy's lunch and feed 5,000 men, plus the women and children, and have 12 baskets full left over. He can heal a blind man who's never seen, and he can raise the dead. That's who he is. You know, there's something significant about that. When you think about the fact that he raised Lazarus from the dead, and we'll study that, what did Lazarus look like when he came out of that grave? He was bound, wasn't he? Jesus was raised from the dead, but he had a glorified body. That body was not held in linen wrappings. They were left. He came out of the wrappings of death and out of the grave. They could not hold him because he conquered and he came out with a glorified body that would never, ever again die. The same that we will have when we see him face to face. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, we will be revealed with him. So I want to encourage you, read through your introduction and then you will begin week one for next week. Looking at the prologue, John 1, 1 through 18. Larry Crabb wrote a book about the Bible in its entirety, and he titled it 66 Love Letters. And he said this, as if God were speaking, Notice that no miracle Jesus ever performed served his well-being. No teaching he ever presented was designed to win popularity, and that in no conversation in which he ever engaged did he maneuver things to his advantage but always to God the Father's. We will see God the Father as we see Jesus. And we will only be fully alive as we behold him and become like him. Sin begets death. The wages of sin is death. So we want to expel sin and we want to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Jesus came that he might conquer our death and give us eternal life. Life now in abundance and later in eternity with him. Our journey home will be riddled with trials and tribulation, but we are to be of good cheer. As long as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we will not only make it to the other side, but we will commune with him as we go, and we will, he will enable us to impact this dark world for his glory. But we must choose. We must choose to surrender to the Holy Spirit, who will bring about this change to Christ's likeness. We will become like the one we behold and follow. And one of my favorite authors, Amy Carmichael, said, What we follow, that we will become. Follow what is worthless, and we become worthless. Follow truth, love, righteousness, faithfulness, and we will become true, loving, right living, and faithful. Each one of us has a choice. Choose you this day, Joshua said. For every day we live, we become more and more like that which we choose to follow. Let us choose to follow Jesus through the book of John. May we become more and more like him as we behold his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And something hit me today. These are truths not just for us to intellectualize, but to energize our spirit life. Because as he reveals himself, there's nothing like the joy and the excitement when God is speaking to you. When you know he is imparting truth to you. And you begin to think differently because of it. Larry Crabb also said, Do not mistake the truth that is living water for the dry dust of mere facts. 
These parched souls endlessly analyze the composition of the water I've provided, but never seem to realize it was meant for drinking. Drink it. Jesus said, I will give you living water. Open the word of God and allow it to be living water for your parched and thirsty soul. Take it in. Get into it. Spend time thinking about it. Dwell on it. Meditate upon it. Let him speak to you and let it change you inwardly. In fact, I will close tonight with words from Amy Carmichael's devotion, Whispers of His Presence. She said, recently I was in a picture of a jug with which water was being poured in. And I've also often said I'd like to be an empty vessel that God just pours into, and as I pour out, he just keeps pouring in. And that is a beautiful picture, but she goes beyond that. She said the idea was that love or whatever we need is poured into us like that. I don't think of it so at all. I think of the love of God as a great river pouring through us as the waters pour through our ravine in flood time. Nothing can keep this love from pouring through us except, of course, our blocking of the river through sin. We can quench the flow of the Spirit, the flow of the river of God in us. Do you sometimes feel that you've gotten to the end of your love for someone who refuses and repulses you? Such a thought is folly. For one cannot come to the end of of what one has not got. (laughs) We have no store of love at all. We are not jugs. We are riverbeds. And so I'm going to ask you this semester to surrender, to open your heart, your mind, and your life to the truth of God's word, and to be a riverbed, a riverbed that his river of living water can flow forth from. And not only will he satisfy you, not only will he meet your needs and reveal himself to you and allow you to understand how beloved you really are, not only will he be your burden bearer, your shame carrier, He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will encourage you. He will speak words of life to you. He will light your path. He will make it straight if you will surrender. You don't have to manipulate. You don't have to make things work. You don't have to be the right place at the right time. You can let go of all of that. All that anxiety and worry can be gone because you're going to let it go. Those things you're holding on to so tight, you can't do this if you're doing this. So we're going to do this this semester. We're going to surrender, and we're going to say, Lord, speak to us through your word that was in the beginning and became flesh. And we saw him. We saw him. John's eyes saw him. He lived with him, walked with him, talked with him, and he's recording for us what he saw, what he heard. And he knows that he knows he is the I am who came for us, who could not, would not live apart from us. That's how much he loves you. So my prayer for us as we study the book of John is that we too will describe ourselves as a disciple whom Jesus loved and that his spirit will flow forth from us as rivers of living water, crunching those dry and thirsty places in our souls and splashing onto all those around us. If we begin to live as those who are beloved, others will be drawn to Christ in us because when you are loved, you can love. Because when you're secure in knowing that you are loved in Christ, that you are fully and completely loved and eternally significant, you can love anybody without demanding anything in return from them because you are fully loved in Christ. Your need for love is met. And you're able to love people out of the overflow. In fact, if you're in the book of John, turn to John chapter 13. Verses 34 and 35. 
says, a new commandment I give to you. And this is the discourse that Christ is giving, his last teaching before he goes to the cross. Begins in 13. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. We're to love each other like Christ loves us. That you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So ladies, they won't know we're his disciples by what we profess, but by how we love. And the only way to love like Jesus is to be loved by him. And when you are loved by him, you're able to surrender. Because why? Perfect love casts out fear. And he loves us. So we can trust him. We can surrender to him. We can let his spirit begin to flow through us unhindered. Because whatever he points out that's quenching the flow of that spirit, we're going to confess it and ask him to forgive us. And he says he will and he will cleanse us. He removes all those things that would stop the flow of the Spirit from flowing through us. So we surrender. So I want to encourage you, tomorrow morning, when you get started on your study, when you open your Bible and open this workbook, I just want you to take a moment and pause. Say, Father, I'm surrendering. And I thank you that I am a disciple that you love. Help me to know that today. Help me to be secure in that so that you can love others through me. Because what Amy is saying is, I don't have that kind of love. He does. The only way I can love like that is if he is loving through me. But that is how the world will know we are his disciples. May they say that of us. May that be our reputation by the end of this study. May they say that about the women of Bellevue Baptist Church. I know one thing about those women. They love each other. And they love others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Oh, Lord, thank you for your presence in this place with us tonight. Thank you for allowing us to come into your throne room, literally before your throne as we worshiped you tonight. And now as we've opened your word and you've been just... Lord, I feel like I've just been bathed, just covered by your love and your grace and your acceptance. Father, I'm asking that every woman in this room would experience that, that she would know you delight in her. You are singing over her. You are drawing her to yourself, and there's so much you want to reveal to her about who you are, about how much you love her, and how you want to use her for her good and your glory. Father, may we advance your kingdom by the way we love one another as we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father, we consecrate ourselves to you this semester, asking that you will keep us well, that you will protect our time that we have set apart to be in your word and in this study, that you will guard our time as we gather on Wednesday night and Tuesday morning. Father, that you will bless our praise and worship team, that you will keep them well, that you will bless them as they rehearse and as they plan and as they choose the music that leads us into your presence and prepares our hearts to receive your word. Father, I pray your blessings upon Dana and upon all of her staff in the women's ministry office and all that they do to make this, this time, this study, so beneficial for each one of us. Lord, I pray your blessings upon them. Now, Father, <laughs> to you and you alone belong all the glory. In the beginning 
was the Word. We thank you that you became flesh, dwelt among us, and allowed men and women to behold your glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, may we behold you in all of your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.